sometimes, whenever I think about thin spaces, I picture romantic meadows or ancient trees or even just a well-lit room with a comfy armchair. But sometimes meeting with God isn't always so pretty. I found that God often doesn't meet me in the most picturesque places. Instead, I find that whenever I am most vulnerable, most exposed, and least composed, God meets me in those moments. And this is one of them. This right here is a hot concrete alleyway out here on the campus of ACU. It's a, it's a place that goes between the dorms and all of the classes, between the safe havens of locking yourself away and the exposure of being right in the middle of everyone who you have to be on for. I, uh, I used to walk up and down this alleyway my freshman year of college. My fall semester was one of the darkest moments of my life, and that's really unfortunate, but it really just had to do with a lot of, uh, a lot of feelings of uh, depression, of loneliness, of feeling as if these, this was a place where I wouldn't find my people, where I would feel as though I had never had people who wanted to pursue deep friendships with me, uh, a place where I felt like I had to impress, but can never just be who I was and be who I was with people. Things have changed since then. But during that time that was very difficult, I found myself walking up and down this alleyway between school and you know whatever else I was doing. And something about it is that there was almost never one here besides me. And so I would use this time as a last moment of respite before walking into all the groups of people. And often I would find myself in tears while walking down this path. Uh, I don't cry very often, but this was the place where I did my freshman year. And what I found is that in the moments when I felt as if I was most alone, when I was fully able to express what I was feeling to God, He would meet me. He would meet me and He would begin to place new songs in my heart. He would begin to console me and show me that uh, all was not as bad as it seemed. Uh, and I think that whenever I think about thin spaces and places that are meaningful to me, this one just comes to mind quickly because it's not a place that you would expect. But God doesn't often work like that. He met me here even whenever I felt as if he wasn't anywhere to be found. The reading of the word from Psalm 139, 7-12. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall, over shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the night is as bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. Uh, I am glad that you have joined us this morning, whether this is your couch in Abilene or wherever around the world. Uh, we're glad that you uh, chose to join us and, and worship God together. Uh, Leonard Sweet tells the story of perhaps one of the most important philosophers in the 20th century, uh, Martin Heidegger. 
Heidegger lived in Germany, and like most philosophers, he made his living teaching at a college, writing books, and speaking. But what is interesting about his life is that as he became more and more popular and influential, uh, he began speaking more, and he was offered a job to be the chair of philosophy at the University of Berlin. Now, this is the most prestigious job in the most prestigious university in the country. It was his dream job, the height of a career. But he turned it down. He turned it down because his philosophical life was not rooted in his teaching position or in his office or on a campus, but in a hut, a little three-room cabin, 500 square feet in the, the Black Mountains. And it was in the cold winter nights when the snow had fallen over all the trees and it was dead silent that he was able to ask the essential questions. It was when living in that cabin, things became simple that he was able to do his work. He turned down the position because he wouldn't have able to do that same sort of philosophical in inquiry in the city. His little ski hut was his holy ground. And I think this is true of a lot of uh, writers, a lot of our authors. I read just this week George R.R. R. Martin, and he was reflecting on his career. Now, if you're a fan or you're not a fan, doesn't really matter. He, he wrote a really successful series, and then he just kind of said, this is so big, I'm going to take my time, and he hasn't written anything in years, and his, all everybody's wondering when his next book is going to come out. And he was reflecting on his life, and he talked about moving to, to the city that he lives in. And, and when he moved there, he was dirt poor because nobody knew him or read him. And, and he just worked out of his house. But he began to sell more books and become a little more popular. And he bought the house that was across the street so that he could kind of go to the office. And so he would start every morning at 8 o'clock. He'd walk across the street to his, his writing space to work. But then he became more popular and, and he sold more books and he needed help. And so he had to get a, a publicist and an assistant and then another assistant. Assistant. And then he had a staff of like five people and that little house that was across the street he stopped being able to write there. And so he too bought a cabin in the mountains where he goes to do his work. For, for some reason, for whatever reason, authors, they need that place to go. This is a common story about writers. They can write a check in their kitchen or a, a letter in their living room, but if they need to write a book, they go to the writing hut. And I think in some ways, preaching is the same way. I can write in my office or in a coffee shop, not so much lately, but my, my best writing comes when I'm doing laps, laps around this room. Often on Wednesday afternoons or Thursday mornings, if you want to find me, I'm, I'm here in this room, walking in circles and, and talking the sermon out. And it becomes this, becomes this kind of prayerful meditation, this, this moment of presence with God. And, and I found my best sermons also come from this process. And, and maybe that's because sermons are meant to be heard, not read, but, but also because this is a sacred space. And, and I think this is true for a lot of us. This, this room is special because it's, place where we come to say our truth to God and 
hear God's truth from us normally. And if you've been following this series throughout this summer, we've reached the last of this series. We're going to move on to something else uh, next week. Uh, We've been flipping through our Rolodex. It's those essential people that you need to have in your life. And if, if your life was a bank heist, you need a crew. You need people to go with you. You need the, the, the computer geek that's going to hack the cameras. You need the, um, the excavator to dig the tunnel from the toy store next door and the grifter that can lift the security card from the unwitting bank manager. You need a crew. And I think part of this is God's design because kingdom work is teamwork. We have to do this together. We're in this as as a body. Not one of us can do really much effectively on our own, but when the power of the Spirit shapes us and moves us and changes us, we see what God can do. And we find ourselves as a body engaged in this teamwork action, chasing after God, finding what he's doing and joining that work there. And so if you've been filling along with your bookmark this summer, I hope you've been filling out the names in your entourage. And I'm sure that what we've done isn't an exhaustive list, but you might be able to come up with a few folks or a few relationships that you think are absolutely essential, and I am all for that. But today, we're not going to look at a, a person at all, but rather a place. You need sacred space. You need holy ground. You need what the Celts called a thin space. It's a place where you have encountered God. You need a Jerusalem. For Israelites and and even for early Christians, Jerusalem was the most holy place in the entire world. Where the temple is built is, is traditionally the spot where Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. And in the last moment, God pulls him back and says, no, sacrifice this lamb instead. And if you know anything about Christian theology, you see how Jesus comes in to represent the lamb that was offered by God for the sins of the world. The temple is built on that place. The temple is God's palace. It's where God comes to rest. It's the center of the known world, if you believe in Yahweh. And Jerusalem becomes holy in in many other ways, not just for uh, the Jewish people, but also for Israelites and also for those that follow Islam. It's a a very holy city, and, and it leads to all of these comments and these ideas that you need a place that's holy. You need a place that's special. You need a place where God comes near. But the beauty of our God is that in the power of his wisdom and his might, it's not just one place in the world. Our God is everywhere, which means that any old place, in any unexpected time, becomes holy. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the couches that we are sitting on and the office chairs where we are watching. And Father, the the phones as we're out on our walks, wherever uh, we are gathered together, Father, I, I give you praise because wherever that is has become holy ground. A place where we take our shoes off. A place where we say, I had no idea, but God was in this place. 
a place where we're prompted to, to build stuff. Tents or tabernacles, temples, or just a small stack of stones. So, Father, as we enter into this time where we're going to focus our hearts and our minds on your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching so that your truth might be expressed in love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. You might have heard of, of a person named Blaise Pascal. He's, he's, he's famous uh, as a mathematician and also as uh, a theologian. The most probable place that you've heard him is Pascal's wager, where he's just kind of trying to figure out the existence of God and if it's worth it to try to believe. And he was, he was kind of famous as a mathematician. He had a few theorems that were, were pretty good, but he had this lifelong kind of disease, this ailment that he suffered through the whole time. He died early and young because of this thing that he suffered with. But it was about in the middle of his life when he had a moment. He was home alone. He was probably getting ready for bed. It was about 1030 at night. And he had an experience that it is difficult for him to describe. And his theological work isn't compiled. In fact, the name of his kind of theological treatise is Pieces, Fragments, because he just kind of jotted them down here and there. But he records one time this moment of when God came near. He says, from about half past 10 at night until half past midnight, fire, fire, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, forgetfulness of the world and everything except God. He is found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. And he goes on to write, and, and scholars think that he wrote that at probably at 12.30 or 1 a.m. that night, and he's just trying to capture the experience that he had of this encounter with God. And that moment was so special to him that he took what he wrote, this piece of paper, and he sewed it into the side of his coat so it could always be near him and with him. In fact, it wasn't discovered until after his death. On November 23rd, 1658, Blaise Pascal encountered God and his, his home became a thin place. Where is the thin place in your life? Where's the holy ground? It's that place that's difficult to describe. It's hard to articulate. In fact, words always fall short when you're trying to tell the story of, of what it's like in that encounter with God overwhelming peace, inexplicable joy, the overwhelming flood of love, divine love. 
Where is that thin place in your life? And my guess is, if you're like most of us, there may only be two or three stories that you can tell. For me, there was one time I had just graduated from, from college and, and I was trying for jobs and I, I was dating this girl. I wanted to stay in the city just to see where that happens. And so I was, I was here and I applied for a bunch of jobs. And one of the jobs I applied for paid like 30 grand a year. The other played 17.5 a year. You can guess which one I wanted, right? The one that was twice as much. And so I applied for that job and I had a great interview and I was answering all the questions and I wrote this like one page summary of what my philosophy, what it would be. And they were so impressed. I think I, think I, I was ready for it. I was ready to say yes. And, and I got the call and they said, uh, they said, hello, Shane, how are you? And I said, great. And they said, I want to thank you so much uh, for the interview. And I thought, that's not a good sign. And then they said, are you still interested in the job that pays less? And I said, well, honestly, I'd like the job that the one I applied for. I'd like that one. That one pays more. I think I'd be good at that. And they said, that's not an option for you anymore. Ah. Uh. It was, it was terrible. First, first try out of grad school and, and rejection. And so I went home. We got in the car and we, we drove up to Colorado and, and spent a few days uh, with my family. And I was, I was sitting in, a, in one of my dad's rocking chairs, his recliner, and I was just reading a book that I picked up and I don't even remember what the book was or what it was saying. But there was this moment in a paragraph that I was reading that I felt wave upon wave of peace. And it wasn't a voice. It's not something that I heard. It wasn't, uh, I didn't see anything happen. But, but in that moment, what I experienced was the clear presence of God, not speaking, but saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I think that's similar to the story that, that Riley Simpson told, that, that there are times in our lives when we're feeling lonely and, and without hope and the emotions are swelling in us and God steps in to say, I'm here. I think the place might not necessarily be a, a tranquil place or even a fun one or a beautiful one, although it may have those things too. Walt Disney World is not a thin place. You cannot engineer the presence of God, and nor is Cancun. Well, thin places relax us, yes, but they also transform us. Or to say it more accurately, they, they unmask us. So what represents holiness in your life? What are the, the coordinates of your holy ground? Is there a place on earth that makes you feel more at home than the house that you grew up in? And what place exists that you'd be willing to give up, that would cause you to give up your dream job? The, the concept of thin place was developed by the Celtic monks, and, and Irish monks in particular love to live in tension. The, the paradox of, of three persons, yet one God. They, they love the tension of Jesus, who was fully God and also fully human. And the Irish history before the presence of Christianity already had a rich tradition of sacred space. The, the pagan Druids held sacred groves and, and stone circles, and they carried some of that with them when they accepted Christ. 
And one of the most sacred places in, in Celtic spirituality is the island of Ionia, uh, because there was one uh, monk leader, his name, his name was Columbus, and, and he lost an argument, and he had to get out of there, and he took uh, 12 disciples with him, and they, they fled to this island, and they built a, a sanctuary, they built a monastery. And while they were there, they did what Irish monks did. They, they copied manuscripts. They just took an old manuscript and wrote it again in new, on new paper. And while they were there, Britain fell. And Rome pulled back. And a lot of churches that held a lot of those manuscripts were burned and destroyed. And it was about 100 years later when the spiritual descendants of Columbus began getting in these, these tiny little boats and sailing back to England and Scotland and began telling the stories of Jesus that they had saved in those manuscripts. Thomas Cahill wrote a fascinating book that basically said because of the Irish monks saving those manuscripts, they saved Christianity as we know it and a lot of civilization. This theme of Irish monks and the spirituality of just wandering off, trusting God. They would get in these little boats called coracles made of, of wood and, and animal skins and they would just push off and trust God that wherever they landed was the place that they were called to speak the truth and preach the gospel. This idea of thin places are everywhere in scripture. Jacob wrestles with that stranger in the night and wakes up and says, I didn't know it, but God was here and he builds a pile of stones. Moses is just tending sheep from his father-in-law and stumbles into a site that he's never seen before, a bush that doesn't burn up. He thinks I ought to come closer. And God encounters him and says, take your shoes off because this is holy ground. Or Jesus on the mountaintop, and when he gets there, he's transfigured, and all of a sudden, Moses is there, and Elijah is there. It's the, the best of the law and the best of the prophets, and they're all talking, and, and Peter just gets befuddled, and he says, you know what we ought to do here? We ought to build some tents. This is holy ground. This is somewhere special. This is something unique. We ought to make this a place where other people remember it. And a voice from heaven says... No, this is my beloved son whom I love. Listen to him. And that's the beauty of, of Christianity is that we live in this place where God is entering the world all the time, shaping and changing, interacting and moving, but at the same time we serve a God who is not bound by any of those things. We don't have a Jerusalem as much as we have a Jesus. In all these instances, there is a sense that the thin place represents reality, not as one would suppose an escape from reality. Moses wasn't taken out of himself in his thin place. He became truly himself. He became truly himself. And if you remember in that conversation that he has with God and himself, he basically says, I don't want to do what you're asking me to do. I don't want to go. Find somebody else. He is completely vulnerable to his real and true self. It's in the presence of God that the veil comes off. 
Jesus' true status as heavenly being is manifest in the disciples in one brilliant and unmistakable moment. In other words, for Moses, for Jesus, for the disciples, the thin places aren't illusions or hallucinations. They're glimpses of what really ultimately is reality. And I don't know if you can actively seek out a thin space. I don't know if you can find it. I think you get sideswiped by a thin place like a truck. In one moment, your ordinary humdrum life, running from your brother, tending your father-in-law's sheep, sitting in your house, November 23rd, 1624, and in the next moment, you are captivated away. Fire. Thin place does funny things with time in reality. Time gets sort of blurry. You aren't quite aware of how long you've been there. But then something else happens too. Maybe that thin space for you is an old church where prayers have saturated the walls and the pews for decades. I think a newborn's baby's cry is a thin space. Or for me, there was this moment, I went to a Christmas Eve service in rural Arkansas, this little country church that had been a tough season and a tough part of my career. And uh, we were doing the, the communion experience by walking up. And, and I don't know what happened in that moment, but when they tore off that piece of bread, dipped it in the cup, and then said to me, this is the body and the blood of Christ that was broken for you. I was unmasked. All the pretension and the worry of, of feeling or being successful in ministry just kind of fell apart in that moment. I think thin spaces can be common places. In a checkout line, pay, playing peekaboo with a toddler in front of you. It is difficult in the, the city of Jerusalem to throw a rock without hitting a church or a mosque. It is a city that is soaked with the experience of God. But as God is everywhere and every when, how is it possible that some places are thinner than others? I think the reason is because God is intensely and passionately interested in our world. And this place gives us a sense for the world as it really is not as we make it. In the aftermath of the, the Arab Spring in 2011, Coptic churches in Egypt were being destroyed. Uh, there were nearly 50 churches that were attacked, including a monastery where the mass uh, was not celebrated for the first time in 1,500 years for fear of violent attack. For 1,500 years, they had celebrated communion together in this one space. And it, it didn't happen for a while. And you could moan that, you could grieve that, but it didn't really matter. Because as old and as significant as those buildings are, the presence of God wasn't in the walls, but it was in the worship. And so I want to I think about that now for us in this place. Because for many of you, and, and the story, like, like Jim said, this building is a place where we've had spiritual encounters. 
where we've had the conversations, where we've experienced the worship, where you've, you've heard the word that pierced your heart. And it's hard for us not to be gathered in that place again. But this week, I want you to reflect on the times and the places where God came near to you. In fact, I would love for you to tell that story. If you're having lunch today with someone else that's a believer, I want you to start telling thin space stories, holy ground stories, the times in your life where God came near, peace was abundant, joy overflowed, love poured down. Tell those stories. But those stories don't have to happen in a building. Our God is everywhere. And so we can encounter our God anywhere. Even in your house, when you're stuck at home, even on a campus, even at a terrible job, our God is there. Do we have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what God is doing in our city now. So share those stories with your brothers and sisters and hear how God has moved in this world and is still moving today.